Welcome, witches, wizards, and everyone in between to Hogwarts University. I'm Alex. And I'm Courtney. And today we will be covering Chapter 8 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. First of all, would like to wish all of our listeners in the United States a very happy Thanksgiving, which oh. should be today if my calculations are correct. I'm so lit for Thanksgiving. I That's like the best food there is, I genuinely think. Oh, absolutely. It's funny, though. Every year my family says that we're going to, like, do Thanksgiving in May, like, halfway in between Thanksgivings, just so that we can get a little bit more of that feast. Oh, my God. That's amazing. It never happens, though. It's just it's a great idea, dream. though. I think so, too. If we can have Christmas in July, let's have Thanksgiving in May. Oh, I miss Christmas in July at Little Man Ice Cream. I know. I every time when I see it and you're not here, I do think of you. They they bring back like all the pumpkin and gingerbread flavors. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's my they shit. just released ginger snap and vegan hot cocoa ice cream this weekend. Oh wow. I miss little man. <laughs> and every <laughs> time I Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say if you're ever in Denver, it is the place to go. It is worth hitting up. Every time I, I have one well your mom doesn't live there anymore so i guess it's okay oh the airplane triangulate her location yeah yeah they have a second location that's a a literal airplane they have like five or six locations now across denver that's because it's bomb diggity it's so worth it it's funny like i've lived in so many cities that uh, oftentimes when i refer to cities like what i miss most is the food (laughs) (laughs) which I don't think is what I'm supposed to say but you just get you try good restaurants and then you think about them for the rest of your life oh absolutely that's like it's a huge part of travel and so it would be a huge part of living somewhere too that's just a big aspect of culture yeah I think about that with vacations too like all the food we had in London yes oh my gosh it's been three years since London don't say that That's not okay. It makes me want to cry. Peter and I were actually supposed to be going to London this Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. (sighs) I've tried not to think about it because that's like an alternate timeline. (laughs) My God. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. We were going to... I was essentially going to recreate our London experience with him because he's obviously never been... And so we were just going to do all the Harry Potter things, have afternoon tea, probably literally every day. Oh my god. We did not have enough afternoon tea, which is funny because I think we had it almost every day. We did. We did. At least like the cream tea, which is just a scone and a cup of tea. Yeah. If you're ever in London and... I was going to say if you have the money for it, you need to prioritize the money for it. Go to afternoon tea at the Ritz. Oh, my God. You will literally. Oh, brief tangent. Okay. This is about (laughs) this. Okay. Okay. So, listeners, when we went to afternoon tea at the Ritz, we literally didn't eat for, like, 16 hours afterward. Like, we were so full. We had, I think we did the math. I don't even know. We had so many finger sandwiches. I think it, was it like totaled. like 20 each. It totaled to like four full-size sandwiches each, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. In addition yep. to like the cakes and the scones, like just finger sandwiches. We each had like tw- like four full-size sandwiches worth of finger sandwiches. Well, because in from what I have been told and from my limited experiences, in Europe, you don't normally have like bottomless or buffet style things but the ritz is afternoon tea everything is all you can eat yeah they just keep offering to give you more so bearing that in mind that alex and i were literally like rolled out of the ritz (laughs) Uh, maybe a year or so after we went this girl i like i didn't actually really know her in college but we like were kind of in the same circle so i followed her on instagram Mm mm-hmm she went to the Ritz while in London uh-huh. and then posted on her Instagram story her ordering pizza to her Airbnb afterward because they weren't full. No. And I'm what? like, you just did it wrong. I like, wonder, did they get rid of their bottom list? Did we ruin <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. 
But it, it like, maybe this is mean of me, but it felt like they thought they were, like, too cool for, like, the Ritz afternoon tea and that, like, all the small food would, like, never fill them up kind of thing. And I was like, um, I've been. Like, if you need to get a pizza after the Ritz, it's because you didn't try. You truly fucked up. Somebody, if, if you are listening to this, go look at the menu for afternoon tea and then remind yourself that everything that you're reading is limitless. Baseline, even if you don't get refills, you're probably going to be full. Right. From just the sheer amounts of, like, you have six different types of finger sandwiches and they give you, like, four of each. You should literally never leave there hungry. Like, <laughs> even if you don't get seconds of everything which we did so i just think they thought they were too cool for the ritz which nobody is it's amazing we straight up got thirds we didn't even just get seconds okay their scones were phenomenal (laughs) they were so good and it does still say which will be replenished upon request so yeah and we didn't even request really they just rolled in and they were like you want more and we were like well we are american i am going to cry thinking about london we sound like I mean, we are very privileged people who had the opportunity to go do that. But God, it was just like the best time of our lives. Yeah, we also, I think, though, did it pretty pretty budget conscious for the most part. Other than the Ritz yeah. tea, which we decided to splurge on. Yeah. We didn't really... I Your spent mom a lot definitely of... helped us with those Marriott points. She gave <laughs> yeah. me much there. Thanks, Ma. But I'm, I think mostly my money just went to um, increments of five pounds of me buying mold wine. Yeah, on you the did street. Drink a lot of mold wine. <laughs> it comes in coffee cups, so you look like you're just having coffee when really you're just drinking mold wine at eleven in the morning. God, the food there. I don't get how the British have a reputation for having bland food. It's just such a melting pot of so many delicious things. And I'm sorry, if you think that bangers and mash is bland, you're doing it wrong. Oh, it's so good. So yeah, good. I'm with you there. Uh, get a full English and don't fear the black pudding. It's worth it. Or the bubble and squeak. The like little oh, yeah. cabbage side dish thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we're talking. I think it's a, this is a Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, oh it could God. just be an Anglophile podcast. It's all the same. It is all the same all comes together we would not have gone to london if it weren't for harry potter and the cursed child so oh god the one good thing that play has done for my life (laughs) all right courtney what happens in chapter eight all right so on so essentially chapter eight like you have a little bit of harry just experiencing hogwarts but the real meat of the chapter the real bangers and mash of the chapter, I hate myself. Um, is that Harry gets mail from Hagrid inviting him to tea, and then he he does also get roasted by Snape, but I don't think that's the main important thing. But so essentially, Harry and Ron go to meet Hagrid for tea, which is precious and wholesome, and we love it. And they gossip with him a little, and then after that, they notice that the wizard newspaper has. An article about the break-in at Gringotts, and Harry kind of puts together that it happened while he was there with Hagrid, and that Hagrid emptied a vault on that day, and then, Mm -hmm. so he's, like, very sus, and then they leave. Yep. And that's chapter eight. It's, um, that, the, the seeing of the newspaper with the vault being emptied was kind of the... I think the important part here, he does get roasted by Snape, um, which kind of sets the tone for their relationship for the next seven years. Um, yeah, not off to a good start. Oh, God. Um, if you're out there, people, Snape's not a hero. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Mm, Snape is flawed. Snape is ambiguous. Still not a hero. Not what what makes a hero? How many heroic acts do you have to have to be a hero? I'll tell you what doesn't make a hero. Bullying 12-year-olds <laughs> okay. about Fair. their appearance. Fair. Also selling out the love of your life and their child to a dark lord. To a literal serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. I'll get I'll get on the not hero train for now. 
Yeah, I I knew you were. <laughs> Someday we'll do a character dive into Snape and we can talk we can talk about all his qualities. Yeah, like the racism. I'm not a huge Snape fan girl. Don't get me wrong there. I'm not trying to tell you that Snape is the best character of the series, but are we here to tell you that Alan Rickman's Snape was maybe one of the best characters in the movies. One hundred percent. I yeah, struggle with that so much because yes, he was. But it, it, the fact that they had to then age up everybody, like yeah. th- then James and Lily had to be older, and Sirius and Ramus had to be a lot older. That part, it's kind of frustrating to me. Because I don't think it fully represents the tragedy of Harry's parents passing away. Like, they were literally 20 when they died. They were children. It's more terrifying that they had a one year old. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. Yes. And I think that's part of the reason that people are so willing to kind of claim Snape as a hero because in the book, he's much less likable. Mm -hmm. Alan Rickman is incredibly likable. Yeah. And they also take out some of Snape's worst lines in the movie. Right. So the combination results in a portrayal of a character that's far more redeemable than the character itself. Does it also, though, bring some perspective onto his character when you consider if James and Lily were that young? Like, Snape was also a 19-year-old when he sold out Voldemort to the Potters. See, there's, like, 19-year-old dumb... And then there's, like, racist fuck. Dumb. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely not trying to excuse his racism towards... Yeah, like, was he was he young? Yes. Did he make some very bad decisions and then he continued to make them well into his adulthood? Also, yes. Yeah. And I one question I think is always very relevant here is, if not for Lily, which side would he actually be on? Mm-hmm. That is a very valid point. Because we know he has this infatuation thing, so he turns to Dumbledore in desperation because he's obsessed with her. But had he not had the same emotional tie to her that he did, I don't think anything would have stopped him from being full Death Eater. Right. Yeah, something to something to ponder on. That's a good point. Well, anyway, Alex, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your topic this week? We're going to take a quick break and then I'll let you know it's surprisingly relevant to oh, the conversation. Turn All oh, right. God. See you in a second. <laughs> Welcome back. Did you miss us? I bet you did. So much, especially when you had to hear that same anchor ad over and over again. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. (laughs) Today we are going off of that quote-unquote unimportant side note part of the chapter where Snape drills Harry a little bit on some potion ingredients. And we are going to dive into the history of potion making. Oh, very cool. Yeah. It was interesting because there is so much information about the history of potion making. Oh. That it is essentially too much. I did not expect that, frankly. Yeah. So today I am going to go into a very general history of potions and Mm -hmm. how it became associated with witches and how it has been used throughout history. But in future chapters, I already have some pretty cool ideas for going specifically into the history of love potions. Shout out to Half-Blood Prince. (laughs) No idea when we'll get there, but... In a few years. (laughs) I'll be like, wait, I think I had notes on this somewhere. Yeah, Alex will be like, oh my god, I don't have to research. I've been waiting for this moment. (laughs) I've been waiting three years. Um, also, I think it will be cool to do a future episode specifically on some of the ingredients in potion making that might, oh yeah, might be potions, might be herbology. We'll see where it takes us. But for now, sources right off the top, 
I wanted to, it's funny because I didn't actually use this as a source, but I got lost in it. So I found Ooh. out through this that the British Library has their like Harry Potter exhibit online. Oh and my there's God. There's a whole section on potions. Yeah. Whoa. That's good to know. Fascinating. I would highly recommend to all of our viewers that you take a solid hour and look through it because it it is it's essentially the Harry Potter exhibit and has so many cool artifacts and information on display both about Harry Potter directly and just magic throughout history. It's awesome. That is that that exhibit blew my mind in person. It was so good. It was so thorough. So I'm definitely going to have to check that out. It was the best museum exhibit I have ever experienced. And I say that, obviously, I have an inherent bias towards Harry Potter, but I truly believe even if I wasn't a Harry Potter fan, I would still have thoroughly enjoyed the exhibit. It was it was so good. It really exceeded my expectations. It was awesome. Um, so the sources that I did wind up using, so Wizarding World, J.K. Rowling had a good article mm-hmm. on potions. Classic. There was an article in the Smithsonian about, oh, wow. about the history of potions and witches' brews. Two weeks in a row with the Smithsonian. Shout out. And then also a website called Witchcraft and Witches, which was definitely a little bit biased. And it is a website where practicing witches and Wicca can find potion recipes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but it also had history of it woven into it. Right. So it is certainly biased. In favor. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. But had a lot of good information anyway. So with those in mind, let's start out where we always start out with the etymology when we do a history yeah, episode. Yeah. Hey. This one's a lot more simpler, though. Latin potio means to drink. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you you imbibe a potion. Great. And, yep, doesn't go any further than that. Thanks, Latin. Yeah, that checks out. So people have used mixtures of different plants, herbs, and animals since the dawn of time, really. It has mm-hmm. been a thing. Not always brewed, not always mixed together. But at this at that point in history, as with honestly many times still today, it's all trial and error. You, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You try that plant, you notice that your stomach stops hurting, you spread the word and let all your friends know. That when you eat this plant, your stomach stopped hurting. Yeah, so potion making was kind of on early medicine, essentially. Yeah, and that's that's probably the entire episode boiled down into five seconds. Good. Is that it is, in many ways, early medicine. Well, great. Thanks, everybody, for um, listening. <laughs> Catch you next week. Um, no, there's definitely a lot more detail to go into here. Yeah. But those sorts of remedies were, A, all that was available. It's not like, oh, I'm going to take this plant instead of popping a Tums. Right, yeah. It was your only option. But also an important part of it proliferating throughout different communities was that it was very affordable and accessible, as many of the ingredients were either things that you could grow yourself or could easily be gathered in nearby forests and fields so it wasn't hard to access them right yeah so it's i'm mostly plants i'm assuming just kind of using what you have right right exactly you have to make do with what you already have but there were people who in the first millennia some people referred to them kind of as like early doctors i kind of disagree and think that they were just more like peddlers but they made a career of creating these potions by mixing different plant parts or tinctures and selling them from town to town 
which okay. further propagated the spread of the herbal remedies. This might be a um an unknown question, but okay. were they just taking things that had already kind of been created and just like to mass producing them to the extent that that was a thing back then, or were they inventing new things and then selling them? It might not be known. I didn't, yeah, I didn't see anything specific on it, but just intuitively, I would think that there was probably a mixture of both. I would bet that there are some people that were creating it and then wanted to like make a few bucks and spread the goodwill Mm -hmm. and did it that way. But I also think that there were probably many people that were literally (laughs) selling snake oil. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And like were. Good point. Yeah, so take, I would say, take anything you buy from a street peddler with a grain of salt. (laughs) With a a dirt road peddler. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, So one popular theory at this time was that if you ingested something that had a property you desired, you would then take on that property. Mm, Sounds risky. Yeah. An example given was that if you were to boil and ingest a lion's heart, it would give you bravery and courage. (laughs) No thanks. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's how some of the potion ingredients became so outlandish. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. All I can think of right now is that uh, that part in Game of Thrones where Danny eats a horse heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Definitely. And I mean, luckily, since these are potions and you had to make it into a drinkable form, people weren't tearing into lion's hearts a la Danny. (laughs) True. But it's definitely along the same vein. Or what I always think of is Hocus Pocus and how they used the children to oh, get yeah. their energy and their youthfulness. Yeah. That, so that was movie's where... actually Loki super dark. <laughs> oh my gosh, it really is. When all of the kids start walking towards their house, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is so fucked. Yeah, it really is. An it entire really town's is. children. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, oh God, the part that always gets me is how... Binks, right after he turns into the cat and his parents are, you know, coming to hang the witches for killing their daughter and son or whatever. And he's just trying to get his parents' attention. (laughs) And they have no idea it's him in cat form. It breaks my heart. Um, do you know what blows my fucking mind, though? What? Uh, you watch NCIS, right? Casually, yeah. Did you recognize Binks? The person who plays him in the beginning. Not the cat. <laughs> Not the cat. No, I did it. Who is he? It's Proby. Oh, it's... shit. I can't think of his actual name because they just called him Proby for so yeah. long. Yeah. But that is the same actor. Just like oh, a decade no or two apart. That's crazy. Yeah, I... I like I, I don't know why, but I looked up the cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was like also known for NCIS. So I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I love that when you find actors in two completely different areas of your life, and you're like, oh shit, they're the same person. And when they're like children, mm-hmm. yeah, The Impossible is on Netflix now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about it's a movie about the tsunami in Thailand. Oh, wow, okay. And one of the kids in the movie is Tom Holland. No way! And I I had seen that movie when it came out, like, ten-ish years ago. Yeah. And then, but obviously did not recognize him when he was later Spider-Man. Right. Um, But then I, his name was in the credits, and I was like, oh my god, it's baby Tom. (laughs) That's so fun. It was adorable. Okay, potions. Okay, potions. (laughs) Well, one of these days we'll get back to potions. So that is how some of the potion ingredients became so out there and crazy and kind of where potion making 
was distinguished from medicine in some senses. Mm -hmm. Because medicine is specifically for fixing an ailment, right? Right. Something is wrong, you need to fix it. And this could be like, I want to glow like a... No, that's a bad example. I was going to say glow like a firefly, so you make a (laughs) potion out of those. I mean, why the hell not? Yeah. (laughs) Definitely, (laughs) that's not impossible. Maybe you worked in a mine. Lionsheart might have been a better, better example, but, you know. No, I bet you at some point... There was a mine worker that was like, it is too damn dark in here. I'm going to brew some fireflies and see what happens. It's <laughs> a bummer. So, um, yeah, that's just kind of been very pervasive throughout history. Uh, belief in potion making and that it can have effects for you both physically with ailments and also to change aspects of yourself one thing like i said that i'll go into in detail later is love potions which were Mm. by far the most popular type of potion and i even found some recipes for love potions that we'll have to try out i'm gonna feed peter for now yeah just make sure he loves me gotta really reel him in just in case (laughs) just in case the wedding and pregnancy weren't enough (laughs) Nope. Gotta gotta really nail it down. So <laughs> the next time that potions kind of came into the spotlight was in the 1200s across Europe. Medicine was starting to kind of standardize. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it, I think it's excellent. There were starting to be <laughs> schools of medicine. People were beginning, sorry, men were yeah. beginning to Oof. write books on medicine. Was it just like bloodletting, 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 bloodletting? Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Pretty much. So, of course, women were kept out of all of these learning institutions because it is mm-hmm. unwomanly. But the problem is, is that before the 1200s, there were many early forms of doctors and midwives and stuff that were women as they were, you know, at home gathering they had the time to brew these herbs and so before the 1200s they were often the ones that took on the roles of quote-unquote potion making right it's like the alewives yes 100 percent. that they were herbologists early herbologists yeah because yeah because generals only exist when men want them to mm-hmm. Oops. funny how it works that way so women who continued to practice midwifery and medicine and who frequently brewed potions to help them with their patients such as like anesthesics and pain killing potions slash soft hallucinogens oh yeah yeah (laughs) of course one goes with the other they typically did (laughs) um were labeled as witches. Ah, classic. Yep, heard this one before. Yep, very, very familiar. There's where potion making became associated with magic and witchcraft. And it really kind of just like cemented for me about, you know, because what is magic besides the unknown? Ladies are magic. That's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) women are magic that has truly been a resounding theme of our podcast so far and i'm here for it yeah is that by being by magic being the unknown it's really just um women trying to live their goddamn lives (laughs) yes but essentially backtracking a little bit is that magic is a way to explain something that can't otherwise be explained right and at the time, in the 12, 13, 1400s, there was no explanation as to why certain mixtures of herbs or animal parts or plants had these effects. It could only be seen that they did. Right. And when something can't be explained, it is naturally scary and otherly. And so these 
witches who they themselves didn't often have an explanation as to why their potions worked. They just knew that they did. Mm-hmm. Were prosecuted. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, Can I just say, um, love that it's like, oh, that lady's the witch, not like, oh, that plant is evil. Like, hmm. yeah. What, like, even the lady's like, yeah, I don't know why this plant does this. It's just like come in handy for me. And they're like, oh, witch with secret knowledge. And she's like, right. no, I literally don't don't know. It's just this plant. And they're all like, the plant's fine. You're the problem. <laughs> the plant was planted by the devil himself so that you may poison society with it. Yeah, like, not that I'm encouraging, um, like, burning wildlife by, like, taking out some plants. Mm-hmm. But it would have been a little less harmful than murdering a bunch of women. Very, very true. Just saying, guys. Maybe you didn't think this one through. Women who literally did nothing but, like, try to ease the pain of, like, childbirth and injuries for others. Literally. They're like, you want to get high? It'll make you feel better. And they're like, witch! (laughs) Makes no sense. What wild times to live in. We're still in them. To be fair, some of the lucky women weren't accused of being witches, but were prosecuted for illegally practicing medicine. Oh, cool, 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 cool. (laughs) So they weren't witches, they were just women trying to be doctors. Great, 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 great. Right, exactly. Which I wrote in my notes, even though it wasn't like the biggest part of this, because that is such a, I don't know the word for it, but so ironic i guess because yeah um, on one hand you're saying that it's witchcraft to brew these potions but this town over here is like no it's not witchcraft it's medicine but you're not allowed to do that right either either way it's absolutely wrong for a woman to do but oh god (sighs) man i tell you history and modern day both yeah for real So, one of the articles I just wanted to briefly touch on does specifically mention the flying potions. (laughs) All I said here was refer to Chapter 5's episode because I'm not getting into this again. (laughs) Yeah. We've done quite enough damage there. Yeah, that's a a whole episode's worth of a conversation to be had. (laughs) Yep, and it has been had, so go check out Chapter 5 if you haven't. Yeah, and meet us back here. Today is kind of our next time period because for quite a while, potions kind of dropped off in popularity as the rise of modern slash Western medicine began. There are Mm -hmm. definitely still cultures that draw from elements of classic potion making and using herbal remedies to help with things, both physical and mental. Yeah, I feel like in in a lot of ways, too, which I think is, I mean, always the benefit of hindsight. But I think we had this interesting swing where for so long everything was herbal. And then we started to discover, like, quote-unquote, Western medicine. Mm -hmm. And everything really shifted into the realm of synthetic solutions. Yes. And now I think in the 21st century, we're kind of striking this better balance where we're conscious of the natural remedies that nature offers us. And we're conscious of the fact that those can't solve everything, so we have synthetic drugs as well. And I think it's we're finally getting to a point where we can appreciate both, including, like, medical marijuana for example like right we're figuring out what we can fix naturally and what we can fix with like drugs made in a lab for example and i'm i'm loving the balance that we're reaching i completely agree i don't think that there is one right answer to medicine or what is the best pathway to go down but this really kind of ties to my next point which is that I say that potion making dropped off, but it really did just evolve because all those synthetic substances that you're talking about, 99% of them are just chemical compounds found in plants that we have 
manage to synthesize or concentrate into medicinal proportions. Exactly. And this would be the moment where I would like to now say, which is why you shouldn't freak out about medicine and why you shouldn't be an anti-vaxxer and why you shouldn't be against modern medicine. Right. We just got creative with nature. Yes. Nothing yeah. that scientists do is not inspired by something an organism was already doing itself. Antibiotics were invented by mold. Exactly. I have actually a few examples of ways that potions and more traditional societies have helped our Western medicine. Let's go. I think one of the main ones that has been hugely used throughout history is willow bark. Okay. It's been used for centuries as an anti-inflammatory. I also do think that it is a hallucinogen in large quantities. Don't quote me on that, but I feel like it is. Just probably. <laughs> assume, like baseline probably. <laughs> assume that all of these, if you brew them strongly enough, they're probably going to do something to your mental state. Yeah. Wasn't there a time in life where people were smoking McDonald's french fries? Like- just baseline, probably. <laughs> oh, for sure. But willow bark has the main chemical compound that was ultimately used to create aspirin. Yep. Yeah, Hugely classic. important. Very, very important. So many people in the world take aspirin for both preventative and otherwise purposes. Yeah, and for centuries, people just chewed on bark. Yeah, exactly. They would stew it or they would straight up chew on it. And yeah. it had similar effects of that anti-inflammatory, heart health, all that. Yeah. Another one in traditional Chinese medicine, um, it can often be found ephedrine. That might be how you say it. Sure. Let's go with that. Which is a common treatment for asthma. Oh, okay. And Hey, that me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> this, in my opinion, was the most important that I read. The Quechua people of Peru, Q-U-E-C-H-U-A, Quechua, okay. um, a potion slash tea slash medicine, whatever you would like to call it that they use, has um, quinine in it, mm. which is do you know what it's for i it sounds so familiar but i don't actually remember it is the treatment for malaria oh yeah 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 which yep. is like the number one disease of all time in our world so it is mm -hmm. huge incredibly important that we found a treatment for it so that societies that have been plagued with malaria could then begin advancing because if you have a plague that is proliferating in your society and just is kind of pervasively there it's really going to hinder a lot of progress in your society definitely yes so yeah that is just so incredibly important and we would not probably have or have discovered it as quickly without those that society in peru that used it in their medicine yeah, another great one. I guess it's not, well, you might consider it a potion. I don't know if it would be defined that way, but the essentially original vaccinations were we just gave people pox, essentially. Yeah. Um, we gave people cowpox or we gave people, we literally gave people the like nasty shit that comes out of smallpox so right. that they wouldn't get it worse later in life. And so- I don't know if that's technically a potion, but it's another example. The original vaccine was just people taking pus from the sores oh, of smallpox oh. or cowpox and giving it to children so they wouldn't later die of smallpox. Right. I think that that's definitely potion adjacent. Yeah. A pervasive thing that I saw throughout the articles that I read is that a potion is specifically drank, drunk, drink, drunk, drunk, drunk. <laughs> um, I think so. I think drunk. <laughs> sure, let's go with drunk. This isn't an English course. It's fine. But so I don't know if you could quite call it a potion, but it is definitely the same concept of an alternative form of medicine and how important it was to the development of today's Western medicine. 
Yeah, it's it's really, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I just no, I have I... so many thoughts swirling around in my head. What it comes down to is that not believing in modern medicine is not believing in nature. Right. And that was my TED talk. Thank you I for think coming. That's put very well, Courtney. One other thing that I wanted to touch on is just kind of like how today many modern witches, Wicca, and other practitioners of magic still practice potion making. Oh, yeah. But I wanted to take it a little bit further, even than that, because if we look at what a potion is, literally, and what it has been throughout history, which is a drink that helps you with many either a physical thing that you have going on be it indigestion headaches sore muscles or a mental thing maybe insomnia or i don't know neuroticism i mm-hmm. can't think of anything mental right now for an issue of the heart right i feel like we often do that without even realizing it like sleepy time tea is something that oh, you take to help you sleep. What is it if not a form of a potion? Yeah, that's that's so true. Like, all tea, honestly. Yeah. I mean, unless you're just drinking it because you're like, wow, I really like the taste of black tea, in which case, who are you? But I, I like the taste of black tea with the sugar and milk in it. <laughs> yes, but the sugar and milk is the key there. But, like, you walk into your local grocery store, there's a whole aisle full of tea claiming different things. Like, there is a pregnancy tea that it has been recommended to me by doctors that I drink. There are teas for stress relief. There are teas for insomnia, for relaxation. I used to drink the tea for, like, when you have a cold all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, like, chamomile tea is well known for that. And chamomile is known to help with decongestion yeah it's that's so true now i'm trying to think of other examples on the spot which is um, maybe not going well (laughs) for me but i mean i think even with the examples we've said you can see the point behind it and that is that we essentially have potions in modern day we're just not calling it because i think that the word potion became taboo in the middle ages when it was so heavily associated with witches. But it yeah, has a history much further back than witchcraft itself. Yeah, I think also the, the word potion now, like if you, if someone were to say that they're like drinking a potion this evening, like there's something a little bit like um, like woo-woo about it, for lack mm. of a better, like yeah. it's very like mystical, like people would be like, oh, okay, so you're like, having a spiritual moment and you're like no I'm just having sleepy time tea but like we have this association with the word now where it's like oh spirits 100% I mean there's a crystal there's a vegan restaurant that's right by my workplace oh I bet it's delish it, it is really good but they have like a witch on their staff who straight up like a section of their menu is like witches brews and so it's <laughs> it is I think the way you described it woo woo is very very apt because yeah. it is just common ingredients like I don't know like honey and goat's milk and stuff but there was a very small part of me the first time I ordered something from there where I was like am I allowed to do this? I'm technically Catholic. Like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. <laughs> oh <laughs> but my it's God. just that stereotype that is so ingrained in our society. Oh, totally. That's really funny, actually. Yeah. I definitely still have a lot of those instincts that I have to repress, but that were yeah, just like so ingrained in me as a child. Internalized things about <laughs> witchcraft. So... The last part that I wanted to touch on is that article by J.K. Rowling and specifically how potions work in the Harry Potter world. Mm -hmm. So she wrote this back for Pottermore in 2015, R.I.P. Pottermore. Uh, R.I.P. the pure time where there was no spinoffs and we didn't know she was so problematic. (laughs) In the potion making article on Pottermore, R.I.P. Pottermore. Oh my god. 
It could have been something. <laughs> it really could have. It, it could have been a Mamorka bug. Uh, it could have been, you know. and it was. It started out so cool with the illustrations and the interaction with the brewing potions and the sorting mm-hmm. hat and all of that. Do you know what I think it should have been, actually? What? I think it should have been Club Penguin. I am still wizards. waiting for that day when they have a, like a multiplayer what is it a massively online role-playing game or something yeah the, that was what i was trying to say Memor- M- Morga oh the mmorpg yeah yeah <laughs> that yes that would be so fucking cool that would and it's what pottermore should have been in the beginning yes but anyway, on Pottermore, <laughs> maybe someday we'll get to this article. Um, one of the most interesting things to note that she states specifically is that muggles are not capable of brewing potions. Okay, so that kind of makes sense, because if you remember from Pottermore, um, you always had to wave your wand at the end. Exactly. And that's her reasoning that she gives, is there is always an element of wand work to the potion. Yeah, which is very interesting because it makes me wonder, like, if you're inventing a new potion, do you just, like, try a few spells and hope you don't get blown up? Yeah, <laughs> I imagine that there's probably a lot of theory behind it, but I think that just, like, actual potions in history, there probably was a lot of trial and error. Yeah, that's true. Who first brewed the drought of living death? I don't know, but Yuck. I bet they didn't make it. Yeah. Um, But I thought that she probably included this in the article because I can imagine lots of eager muggles going out and looking for rare and or dangerous potion ingredients and poisoning themselves along the way. Mm -hmm. I think it was definitely a liability piece on her part. It's like, I'm giving you all these potion instructions. Don't actually brew them. You can't do it. Yeah, I think that there's a brilliance there, too, because oftentimes she refers to plants that actually exist, but then she'll also refer to things that don't. Right. So you can't ever really complete the potion with things that actually exist. Right, like you can go get a mandrake and brew its root, but you can't add the unicorn hair at the end of it. Right. So she also states that even in the wizarding world, there is kind of a stereotypical view of potions masters. She mentions Mm. that they're dark and broody and mysterious, a.k.a. Snape. Yeah, for real. And and she even says that herself. She's like, Snape is the perfect example of a stereotypical potions master. (laughs) Um, Okay, you wrote the whole thing. So (laughs) The last point was, it's kind of her thoughts on the writing of it, which I love when we get to see the insight into her creativity. Yeah. Is that she hated chemistry as a student. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, wanted Harry's quote-unquote arch nemesis to teach the class she hated the most. That's hilarious. So that is why Snape is the potions master as opposed to charms or transfiguration or something like that. Okay, according to that logic, who would be your arch nemesis in Hogwarts? Gosh, who, what teacher did I not like? I meant what subject, but sure, oh. what teacher? <laughs> um, this is You're hard. sitting there going through the high school yearbook, like, which one of you was my arch nemesis? <laughs> um, prob- probably potions. It'd probably be science. Yeah, I guess that's tough because there's like care of magical creatures is like essentially zoology or biology. Mm-hmm. You could argue, and I guess potions would be chemistry. It's hard oh. though because they don't have some basic courses. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I was also thinking like Spanish class. I loved my Spanish teachers. You did. Not that they're listening to them, this, but I gotta disclaim that. But, like, what would Spanish be? Ancient runes? I guess, yeah. That's the closest you could come. Yeah. What would English be, though? 
I don't, there isn't an English curriculum. And that I is know. why part we of started this podcast. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's bullshit. Yeah. Oh, the only math. math they do is arithmancy. So that was a brief history of potion making. I can't wait to, in future episodes, dive even deeper. Yes, I'm excited for Love Potion Day. Oh, it's going to be so good. Four Just years wait from three now. Three years. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 19 years later. <laughs> yeah. You're like yelling at your teenage children. Calm down. <laughs> I have to talk about love potions. <laughs> I'll enlist them to try it on their high school crushes. Oh, there you go. That wouldn't be weird. No, not at all. So thanks for listening. We hope that you are enjoying lots of good food and remembering that the indigenous people were here first. <gasps> Alex. What? Yes. Yes. Throw it down. We, we, I thought, I love Thanksgiving as like a kickoff to Christmas and giving thanks in general. I hate mm-hmm. that it's associated with us being thankful for the help we received from a group of people that we then murdered. Yes. Yeah. So let's try to move the Thanksgiving away from the colonial association of it. Let's just be yeah. thankful for the things that you do have in your life. Yes, let's call it what it actually is, which is a harvest feast. Yes, I like that too. Which it absolutely is a feast. If you're not feasting on Thanksgiving, you are doing it wrong. Unless you're in London, then it's okay. Well, we still feasted. It was just on scones. Oh, fuck yeah. Well, (laughs) I think we have officially overstayed our welcome on thanksgiving (laughs) i think so too let's get out of here courtney all right thanks for listening have a good day Bye. bye